God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, well, the queen has been buried, and she's laid to rest. And now we got globalist King Charles in, in power for the richest firm, as they call it, the firm, in the world. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Trump, Trump is today um, having uh, has a couple of deadlines as to uh, how they're going to play uh, the disclosure, this disclosure of some of these documents because the FBI is cherry picking what it is that they want to disclose, and frankly, you know, I think it's I think Trump should be the one to decide what private personal documents get displayed to the world, particularly his IRS statements. He's under audit, which has been the narrative for about seven years or something like that. But nevertheless, um, it's his prerogative. It's his privacy. It's his right as a United States citizen. Let's never forget that. He has a right to privacy. And he also has executive privilege, which is another big issue that's going to come out and likely a lot of these uh, questions are going to play out in the Supreme Court. And it's a double whammy, a double edge there because what the DOJ is fighting for should apply to Biden as well, particularly as it relates to Biden's records at the Delaware University Library that are under seal. Journalists have been trying to get a hold of his Senate records for a long time. And he wouldn't disclose those because, you know, obviously it would shine a light on how boneheadedly stupid this guy is. I mean, the guy is an absolute moron, Joe Biden. There's no doubt about it. Um, Just listen to this inflation interview. It's, (laughs) It's so out of touch. And... 
63% in po- this poll, 63% are saying that they're, they're feeling like they're underwater right now with, with regard to inflation. They can't keep pace with the expenses. I got to tell you, I look at the store, I, I've never seen anything like this. My father's 85 years old. I, uh, I asked him, have you ever seen inflation like this? He said, no. Have you ever seen an FBI like the one we have? 85 years old, born in 1937. You know what he said? No, not even close. I mean, we're living in a whole other world right now. Nothing is the same. You know, it used to be a a certain percentage of your annual salary went to your mortgage or your rent. And that's not even the case anymore. That's not the case at all. It's uh it's it's a huge chunk just just to pay the rent. And um you know, I wrote this today too and we're going to get to the uh, uh 60 minutes interview in just a moment. But I I I wrote this. I said um let's see can never find my tweets when I want them the most. Um, well, I'll get to it. But it's... Uh, hang on. Hang on, folks. It's live live television. No, it's not even television. Um, but we'll get there. Uh, um, it's coming up right now. All right, here we go. I said, Democrats see a real chance of losing in 2022. And I wrote this. I I should have remembered it. I wrote it about an hour ago um, and posted it up on social media. But I I wanted to read what I wrote because I thought put thought into what I wrote. Uh, Democrats see a real chance of losing in 2022 and 2024 evidenced by the scorched earth aggression to advance their progressive initiatives. Or... The Democrats know their election rigging is unstoppable and they don't fear the voter. But it's one of the two or it's a combination of both. Because, you know, the, the policies, you know, the pol- I, was, um, I was listening to a report about the, uh, ele- the election in Brazil, for example. And Bolsonaro is the president, and he's sort of like the Trump of the tropics, they called him. He was basically the populist down in Brazil. And he's running against a radical socialist. And people love Bolsonaro like they love Trump. Filling up the arenas, the socialist, nobody likes him. Except for the people that know that they're going to enjoy the power of the corruption in the government and they're going to get rich off of that. So they're selling out their country and selling out the people and rigging the elections somehow. I'm hoping that they can't rig these elections, but but we've seen that they can. And I, I don't know how it works except for the fact that government workers tend to lean left and it's the government workers that are helping to cover it all up. It's the globalist money. Let's face it, the globalists are kicking Putin's butt in a lot of ways. 
They're the most powerful entity in the world. If you can control the flow of information, you control the world. And the globalists, you can't deny it. The globalists control the the narrative. They control the media. They control the world. There's a lot of... We could have hours of dialogue and discussion about where it all started. You can go back to the 30s and 40s and 50s and how radio and television came about and how it became so radically communist. I mean, liberal, same thing. But here we are. And I remember when Bernie, um, gosh, what was his name? Um, but this guy named Bernie, uh, a Jewish guy, wrote Bias, a media bias book in the 90s. And I, I had that idea to write a book like that, and he beat me to it. But I really wanted to write a book like that because I had been on the bias, the media bias train since, the, since probably the 80s um, when I was in college. I saw it firsthand. And it's just gotten worse and worse. And, you know, when Fox News came about in the late 90s, like 98, 99, they took half of the country and put it in their pocket. It's why Fox News was always able to say, we beat CNN and MSNBC combined because more than 50% of the country was conservative. But guess what? Fox News didn't have to split that pie of conservatives. The conservative pie, if you're looking at a pie chart, Fox News didn't have to share the wealth among the conservatives. But MSNBC, CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS, NPR, they all had to split that pie. So they would get a sliver of the Democrats that were left over. So when Fox News came, Roger Ailes, it was a boondoggle. I mean, it was a Yahtzee. It was a great moment. <laughs> great business decision. No competition on the right. You get half the country. So when Fox News would say, we beat CNN and NBC combined, it doesn't mean, though, that Fox News had more listeners than all of the liberal media combined. That's the, that, that was the trouble in paradise is that when you added up CBS, NBC, ABC, um, NPR, PBS, MSNBC, CNN, you name it, that actually had a bigger number than Fox News' number. You follow? So that was the problem. You know, it was sort of like, uh, how could we lose when, we, when we're dominating the news cycle? But we're, we really weren't. But we were, but we weren't. Sometimes we were, sometimes we weren't. But I believe that this, what we're seeing, oh, so getting back to Brazil, is I, I heard this report, and the Brazil part was that people, uh, they, were t- they were talking about this, not from a political perspective. They were talking about how Brazil's going to be the next Venezuela and how we're going to see all these refugees, or not refugees, all these people coming from Brazil coming through the southern, southern border. 
That's what they were talking about. And I thought, wow, what does that say about the social radical left? Are they really representing the people when right now people want to stay in Brazil? There's no one coming from Brazil. They're all coming from Venezuela. So shouldn't that right there tell you that Sean Penn is off uh, off his rocker? He's probably in a rocker, right? No, Sean Penn is out to lunch. All these radical lefties that, that fell in love with Chavez and the Castros, like Harry Belafonte or something like that, these radical lefties support these countries that that have a have an exodus problem right now and, and are the dominant uh, population that's flowing through our southern border. You know, I, I reported yesterday that um, Venezuela is le- releasing all their criminals out of their jail cells so they don't have to feed them and lock them up and pay for the prison guards. They could just come here and kill us and rape our, our women and, and uh, molest our children. No, I I really believe that this whole thing about twerking, uh, trans twerking in front of children at events and in school and reading these trans uh, story story time books and indoctrinating our children. And I I really think that this whole thing about um, uh, beta blockers and and, and these these, uh, hormone pills and these mastectomies for eight-year-olds and, and gender-changing uh, surgery, uh, gender, gender mutilization uh, among children. I truly believe that all of this is part of, of, uh, of, a, of another play. It's another plan. It's another play. Nobody, nobody really can believe this stuff except if you're nuts. Yet there are real doctors that are actually making real videos and advocating for this stuff. You know, that Rachel Levine dude that works for Biden and all the others. You know, the point that I'm making is there's something else going on here. They're either radically, aggressively pursuing their progressive agenda because they feel like they're running out of time and they're just going to take the biggest bite out of the apple that they possibly can it's like when you go in, you can go into this store and you have one minute to grab everything you can and you whatever you can hold in your arms, you can keep. There used to be a game like that, game show or something. You could run in the store and people would go for the more expensive items. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to get the biggest grab, the biggest advancements for progressivism. You know, as Kathy Griffin just the other day tweeted, we're in a civil war. Are we? If you vote Republican, we will be in a civil war. You must re- uh, vote Democrat, and you can avoid a civil war. If you wrote, vote Republican, we'll be in a civil war. She wrote that. Talk about intolerance, right? So not just that, but we. She's so stupid that she doesn't realize that we've been in a civil war for years. It's nothing new. We are in a civil war. But right now, just like Russia, we're being outgunned by the globalists. Because, see, we're not just fighting the Democrats. We're fighting China 
We're fighting the globalists. We're fighting Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. We're fighting the IMF. We're fighting the United Nations, for crying out loud. Guess what's happening today? The United Nations General Assembly is meeting. And, you know, what they're saying, the things that they're saying over there are just absolutely incredible. They're going to be advancing the ball. They got Davos. They got the UN General Assembly. They got the IMF. They got NATO. They have it all. And they're in bed with the social media. The social media cases are going to the Supreme Court to declare whether or not it's constitutional for a private company like such as theirs to censor. And uh, I'm hoping that the Supreme Court says, you know what? This has too big of an impact. Social media should not be considered a private company. That they should be considered a utility at this point, considering their um, the the amount of uh, interaction they have with our government. If they were just a private company, they wouldn't be working with the CIA and the FBI like we know that they have been. So come on. Uh, and and now that the elections depend on these things and all you see is Twitter and Facebook banning people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and other uh, conservatives from speaking on these platforms, these social squares, you know, these town squares, virtual town squares, it, it does have an integral part of every election now. It's part of our everyday life. It's as if to say that, uh, you know, you can get along in this world without a cell phone. Just ask the Canadian that doesn't have a cell phone with a RiveCan app that tracks their every move on their phone. They can't even get home in in their own country without filling out a bunch of papers, uh, paying off a fine for noncompliance. It's absolutely stunning. So I wrote this again. I'm going to read it again because I thought it was pretty good. Democrats see a real chance of losing in 2022 and 2024, evidenced by their scorched earth aggression to advance their progressive initiatives. Or, or I could be wrong, or the Democrats know their election rigging is unstoppable and they don't fear the voter. But it's one of the two or it's a combination of both. And that's what it is. I also wrote key Trump dossier source. Igor Danchenko confirms he was paid by the FBI for years. How do you like those apples? Exclusive by Breitbart. Venezuelan empties prisons, sends violent criminals to U.S. border, says DHS report. DHS and they're still opening the border and allowing all these people through. And it's a sight to behold watching the media go berserk over the location of 50 illegal immigrants after spending years ignoring millions. Hypocrisy. Oh, (laughs) yeah, this is uh, funny. I'm going to go ahead and play this. I was going to play this yesterday, but I'll play it today. It's a it's a comedian. Hold on, it's forty seconds. Do you know what I've come to realize? Right, Americans, you basic 
basically do everything that we do, but you do it bigger and you do it better. Like we have stupid people here. But your stupid people are world class. And that is not me saying, oh, all Americans are stupid. No, America also has the smartest people on the planet. What I'm saying is that when America does stupid, you do stupid. Like, our village idiot is in a park shouting at clouds. Yours is president. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the village idiot, folks. <laughs> Joe Biden. Oh, my gosh. What a... What a what a uh, communist Joe Biden turned out to be, right? Listen to this, though. The Biden White House game plan is to lie to your face because they think you're stupid. They are telling you prices are flat, no inflation, and that the economy is growing, even though we've just had two quarters in a row of economic shrinking, which is a recession. Mr. President, as you know, last Tuesday, the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3%. The stock market nosedived. People are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it is good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not, you're, I can mean, make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2%. It's, been, it's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that. But guess what we are? We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. It has just barely, it's been basically even. What can you do to prevent a recession? Continue to grow the economy. And we're growing the economy. It's growing in, in a way that it hasn't in years and years. That is such a bold-faced lie from the plagiarizer-in-chief. Here's the thing. <laughs> it did happen overnight. 18 months, it went from 1.4% under Trump to 8.5% earlier this year. And it stays high. And the only reason why it flattened out, folks, you got to take this to the bank, and is because he he basically borrowed more money to pay the rent. But that doesn't mean that the debt doesn't have to be paid. It's sort of like somebody going out wearing all their jewelry and fancy clothes and living well beyond their means, driving their Lamborghini, you know, living in the big house and realizing and going out to the clubs, spending money, borrowed money, spending borrowed money. And everybody thinks that this person's rich until the bank comes knocking and they have to answer for it. Next thing you know, the house is gone, the car is gone, you know, and there's nothing left. He did it. He did the inflation reduction uh, bill to appease and to finance his, his people. See, every single thing that the Biden administration's doing 
is about paying off politicians that supported him. He's buying support. He's buying it. And he's also full of corruption, and he's laundering it. Ukraine is nothing but a laundromat for money. Money goes in. Nobody knows where the money goes. But it goes out. It, it, it may be managed by a bunch of oligarchs who have promissory notes to politicians to keep the money train going. Just like Taiwan. Nancy Pelosi goes over to Taiwan in August 2nd, 3rd. And guess what? She comes back and she gives them $2 billion. Paul Pelosi Jr. was there at the same time. Why was he there? Why do you bring your son to a meeting like that? High stakes meeting where, you know, it could almost throw us into World War III. And then you got Joe Biden in this same 60 Minutes interview talking about out of both sides of his mouth, causing a, a ruckus with his administration. People don't know what to say anymore. Whether it's the end of the pandemic or his support for the one China policy. I said this yesterday, by the way, and Tucker covered it last night. But he supports the one China policy, which is basically stay out of Taiwan. You know, stay out. Don't don't ever talk to China, Taiwan. Taiwan is not deserving of any independence whatsoever. They belong to China. That's one China policy. But then he says, we are going to go and put our children, our women and men, in uniform on that island to fight against China. Where the, it's a no-win situation because there's no way, there's no way we could beat China in Taiwan. I mean, we're half a globe away. There's just no way logistically that would make sense. Except if you wanted to actually appease your military industrial complex so they can make all kinds of tanks and rifles and this, bullets and web armory, missile missile uh, systems, anti-ballistic missile systems, all kinds of things that are basically great contracts for Lockheed Martin, uh, McDonnell Douglas, Raytheon, <laughs> Boeing, you know, who know, you name it, right? All these different contractors are going to basically, and everybody that sits on the board of these contractors is former Pentagon officials, libtards. And they have their friends that they used to boss around in the Pentagon who answer, still answer to them because it's a food chain, because if that Pentagon official ever wants ever wants to actually uh, make it after they retire, they're going to kiss the butt of the person who's already retired. That's just all there is to it. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, Scott. Good morning. Yeah, I love I love the uh, the you know the objections of of Biden about the inflation it's like you know his objection is that it went up a little at a time uh you know it's like it's like he's you're telling him hey uh you strangled this girl to death uh but uh he's saying no 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 i i just increased my grip a little at a time 
until she was dead. It's not like I just strangled her because she's dead. Yeah, well, and she's been dead for months. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're still strangling well, yeah, her. You got to get, you got to see, oh. seek some therapy. <laughs> yeah, he's saying, oh, well, you know, yeah, it went up, but it's not like it just went up. You know, it was a, a little at a time. Well, it did. It, it did spike, though. He said it didn't. He didn't just spike to eight point two. Yes, it did. It was at one point four when you took office. It's now. At, it was at eight point five a few months ago. That's only how many months. How. I mean, I, I've never seen inflation increase that quickly in my life, and I'm pretty old. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, this. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the, uh, uh, the energy crisis in California. Well, quickly, because I have a uh, – but, yeah, let's uh, – Okay, well, in okay, a minute my or one less. point is this. <laughs> yeah. my, my one point is this. Okay, they're um, – <clears throat> They're saying to conserve energy between these hours of, I think, 5 to 9 or whatever like that. Are they even taking into account that that time, a lot of factories and shops are closing down and the electricity that they were using is now being shifted to houses? And and what about all the people that, that aren't even supposed to be here that are using resources like electricity and water? Uh, you know, say you got an apartment with 10 people living in there, but there's 50 people using the resources. It's going to make it look like those 10 people are overusing the resources. Well, that's sort of like, yeah, the same argument about, you know, um, sir, you know, you're like 120 pounds. Uh, sir, your bag is two pounds overweight. It's like, but the guy behind me is 350 pounds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, it's just total ridiculousness. In fact, I keep getting these little messages from SDG&E and, and uh, even the water company now. I'm getting messages from them, you know, conserve water. And let, let me ask you something. If a, a, a company, does McDonald's go out and tell people, hey, uh, you know, don't eat, don't eat McDonald's because you might get fat or get diabetes? Do they do that? No. But the electric company and the water company is telling people to not use their product. Right, right. Uh, Why? How, what kind of business model is that? I know, I know. And I have a few clips that are going to shine some light on that a little bit. So thank you for calling in today. All right. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, yeah, I do have some clips that are going to address that. Um, uh, so let's, uh, let's, let me get to that. Um, basically, uh, this, is, this is one with... Uh, Let's see. All right. Oh, this one. Yeah, right here. Okay, so this was the Alaska governor, and uh, he was talking about, um, we were talking about the European energy crisis, and uh, he also got into fentanyl and the open borders as well, but let's take a listen to this real quick. Europe is having an energy crisis, and experts say, It's because of a lack of investments in fossil fuels. Yet Biden and the Democrats want to do the exact same thing here in America. Joining me now to talk about it is Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy. Governor, good to see you. So shouldn't what's happening in Europe and their push to go green be instructive for us here in the U.S. that maybe that's the wrong path for us to go down? 
Uh, it should. Uh, anytime you have a social engineering approach that's forced conversion off of uh, energy such as fossil fuels, it doesn't make sense. And you know it's going to have a difficult time actually uh, becoming what they think it is. So, for example, right, California just uh, talked about outlawing the combustion engine. And two days later, they say they're asking their people to conserve energy, electrical energy, because of the heat wave there. So a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. Um, and uh, it's going to be a very interesting next few years. You know, I think you make a good point. I was going to ask you about that. You have uh, Gavin Newsom saying we're going to go to EVs by 2035, outlawing gas engines. And then a couple of days later, they're like, oh, listen, uh, you can't charge your EV because there's not enough electricity on the grid because we're having a heat wave. I mean, I would hope that constituents, whether they were just common sense in Wisconsin, Alaska or California, would go, hey, listen, this th- this gives me a concern for my future that I can't even drive my car. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's happened is um, uh, people need to start asking just a couple more questions. Like when you plug it into a wall, where does that electricity come from? How is it made? Uh, what type of uh, what type of fuel is used? And I think uh, we have a little deeper conversation on that. I think we might get more people, um, uh, I guess, acting with a little more common sense. You, you know, I think we would. I, I want to ask you about um, the energy in Alaska. Obviously, you're a big energy producer in your state. What impact have the Biden policies had on Alaska? Uh, it's been a uh, it's been a slog ever since this administration has taken over. I mean, pre- the previous administration under Trump was all about opportunity. What do you need in Alaska? How can we help? This is uh, this is uh, it, this is governance. It, we say actually sanctions by fiat. We'll get a letter. We'll see it in a press release. Uh, we'll hear that uh, another oil play has been shut down or a timber play is not going to happen. And so. Um, you know, when the president was going over to Saudi Arabia and was talking about going to Venezuela, we would have bought his ticket up here to sit down and talk with us yeah. about producing energy. Yeah, I mean, look at home, look to your home states, whether it's Alaska or Texas, North Dakota. Um, we have great energy sources here. And again, you're going to look to a communist regime. Also, you know, Governor, uh, you look in the, the rare earth minerals that are mined outside of the U.S., you know, to, to take us from oil and gas to EVs. And even the fact that we have to rely on China to make sure we can have batteries and windmills and solar panels to go all EV. Does it make any sense that we would rely on a communist country like China and not on the U.S.? We're, we're scratching our heads almost on a daily basis up here because we, we deal with the environment better than anywhere else in That's the right. world when we do our oil, gas and mining. So why would you want to send this over the seas, overseas where there's social injustices, there's child labor, they don't have the same environmental regulations, we're empowering strongmen. None of it makes any sense. I mean, it really doesn't. No, it doesn't at all. It's, it's, it's concerning as a, as a guy who wears a, an American lapel pin, um, we're selling the country. I don't want to switch gears on you, though. You wrote an op-ed for The Hill entitled Stopping the Fentanyl Crisis Demands Policy Changes at the Border and with China. And by the way, Governor, I agree with you. Alaska. And I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop that interview there um, because I wanted to cover the energy portion of that, not the border fentanyl. Um, I could get into that, too, but obviously there's so many issues that talk about. Um, but this whole thing about the pandemic being over is another issue I want to cover. And then I want to cover, you know, we just were talking about climate and we we're talking about the climate lies. We've been always talking about the climate lies. We know it's a lie. We know why they're doing it. We've talked about it on this show for months and months and months. Let's take a listen to this, though, about the pandemic is over. And then we're going to listen to Dr. McAuliffe under sworn testimony talking about how the vaccines are killing people. There are still a lot of unanswered questions like where did COVID originate 
And who got rich off the vaccines last week? Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul confronted Dr. Fauci about the latter. Watch. We've been asking you, and you refuse to answer, whether anybody on the vaccine committees gets royalties from the pharmaceutical companies. I asked you last time, and what was your response? We don't have to tell you. But I tell you this, when we get in charge, we're going to change the rules, and you will have to divulge where you get your royalties from, from what companies, and if anybody on the committee has a conflict of interest, we're going to learn about it. I promise you that. Well, on top of that, there's still a lot we don't know about the vaccine. Senator Rand Paul took down Dr. Fauci on that point as well. Watch. You seem quite certain of yourself in 2004, but in 2022, there's a lot less certainty. A vaccination following infection gives an added extra boost. And that film that you showed is really taken out of context. If you ignore whether they've been infected, you're ignoring a vaccine, basically. People decry vaccine hesitancy. It's coming from the gobbledygook that you give us. As you heard, Senator Paul is vowing to investigate all of it should Republicans win the Senate. Uh, So when would that begin? And shouldn't they be doing that now? Here with me tonight, Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul. Senator Paul, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, So you really are the only honest actor who is taking it to Dr. Fauci, who is so horribly conflicted. Now, for you, what is the most troubling conflict of interest that he has? Well, the thing is, is the entire pandemic, if it came from a lab, the fact that he approved the research and funded the lab would draw culpability to himself, culpability to the NIH, culpability to all of these people who made the unwise decision to send money to China to do dangerous research. So that's why they steadfastly resist this. But if you look at the early emails, when when they first discovered the sequence, the RNA sequence of this virus, January 31st of 2020, they are quite frightened. There's harried emails going back and forth till 2.30 in the morning. And all of the initial scientists are saying to him, holy cow, we've looked at the sequence and it looks like it's been manipulated in the lab. In fact, it has a cleavage site. This is the way the virus cleaves or gets into the cell that we don't see in nature typically, and that the Chinese last year asked us for money to do exactly that research. So all kinds of alarms and bells went off for a day or two. And then we have another couple of emails where Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci are talking about how they are science and saying that, wow, this would be really damaging to science and to NIH and to all the taxpayer money we get and also to themselves personally. So they began a cover-up, and I think it's the biggest cover-up probably in the history of science. And we will get to the bottom of this because I promise you there's going to be a paper trail and there's not been any interest from Democrats. But should we win in November, I will use every bit of subpoena power to get every bit of data. We will bring Fauci under oath. We will bring all of those scientists under oath. And we will get to the bottom of this. Well, I hope someone does. And I can't uh, imagine for a moment why Democrats, you know, their constituents died too. You know, their the kids in their districts, they suffered as well. You know, they, they suffered through the mental health crisis and learning loss uh, because of this pandemic. And we still don't know where it came from. We deserve to know that that should not be a political pursuit. And, you know, Dr. Fauci has made it so he has turned into a political operative and he has done so much damage to this country. Now, another answer you've been trying to elicit from him, and he's been very slippery on this. uh, And this is also a glaring conflict 
conflict of interest. There are people who sit on those vaccine committees who decide what the rules are for all of us and where we can and cannot go. Uh, could they be getting royalties and could they be enriched from the vaccines that they are forcing into people's bodies? So we've asked this question over and over again. Fauci and others have refused to answer any questions. They're steadfastly refusing to answer any questions, but a judge through the Freedom of Information Act required that they release some emails. They released them, but they blanked them all out except for the total amount of royalties. But it's not a small amount. 1,800 scientists received $193 million, but they won't tell us from which companies to which scientists. So my question is simply this, and it may not, there may be nobody on the committee that's received this money, but if they won't tell us, it makes us wonder. So on the vaccine committees, there's several committees that uh, approve uh, vaccines and then push forward these mandates. Is anybody on those committees receiving royalties from the two companies that make the vaccine or three companies that make the vaccine. And if they are, they shouldn't be on the committee. The best way to think of this is, let's say your local school board is going to vote to buy new textbooks. And one of the members of the school board owns the textbook company. Do you think anywhere in America that doesn't have to be divulged, that that's a conflict of interest? So nobody would you know but nobody touches fauci we go after him on this and he says we are not going to tell you we don't have to and then he cites a law from 1980 that we're investigating the law and we will change the law if it's protecting him but really what kind of bureaucrat what kind of scientist comes forward and says well we're just not going to tell you because we don't have to he and his wife make eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year working for the government and we want to know if these scientists that are raking in that much money are also receiving royalties and if they're receiving royalties from companies for which they are approving the drugs that's a clear conflict of interest absolutely and and the ramifications in society are totally unacceptable and he deserves to be pressed on this and held to account uh senator paul a lot of people who watch this show are hoping that you are thinking about running in 2024 do you have all right so there you go on that and uh that that is quite interesting as well um i want to play this uh thing that happened this morning on fox and friends uh this was about uh biden backlash for declaring COVID over joe biden wants uh, you to because know. because um here here the the point of this clip here is this um is that just like Taiwan and just like Ukraine and just like the Syria crisis and just like ISIS and just like Benghazi, just like all of these things, every single thing that the government seems to be involved with is about paying off their crony friends and their political donors. So COVID is no different. The Democrats never let a good crisis go to waste. And what they're doing and you're going to hear Nancy Pelosi saying, we need more resources. You're going to hear Democrats, Steny Hoyer, saying, we need money and more money to throw at this problem. And I think it's ridiculous. Um, we've spent enough. We need to move on. They've done enough dam damage. They shouldn't be in charge of this. They failed miserably. You know that the days of fretting about COVID are over. The pandemic is kaput, so says the president, gone the way of the AMC pacer, polyester suits, and bell-bottoms. 
The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. Okay, so it was a bit of a nuanced response to the question. However, HHS Secretary Javier Becerra agrees. He said, I think the president is correct. I think the president was reflecting what so many Americans are thinking and feeling. But not everyone inside the administration is sold, including Dr. Anthony Fauci. We are not where we need to be if we're going to be able to, quote, live with the virus, because we know we're not going to eradicate it. We only did that with one virus, which is smallpox. And it's not just the diminutive doctor. Democrats on the Hill aren't quite ready to call it quits on the pandemic. Nope. They want to keep the COVID cash flowing. Some of this is for uh, places that's not over, and we don't want to see it re reintroduced in this country. <clears throat> so I think that uh, the, the need for that money still exists. Do you agree the pandemic is over, Madam Speaker? I believe that we have uh, we need some more resources. Ah, uh, we need some more resources. Here is what Richard Burr thinks about all that. Without a clear plan to wind down pandemic-era policies, the deficit will continue to balloon and the effectiveness of public health measures will wane as the American people continue to be confused by mixed messages and distrust of federal officials. Hmm. Meantime, in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, the editorial board there accused the president of wanting to have it both ways. He wants to reassure Americans, tired of restrictions on their way of life, that the pandemic is over and they can get on with their life. No, they just want to win. Uh, they want to maintain uh, control of the Senate. They're, they don't have a chance, I don't believe. To hold the House. They seem to think that they have a chance with holding the Senate. I actually don't think that's going to happen either. Uh, if you look at the rally that Trump put together in Youngstown, Ohio for J.D. Vance, um, I, I can't see Tim Ryan prevailing in that race. Uh, if you were to listen to Herschel Walker speak, you know, you would be inspired by his message and against Warnock. And and then you got Fetterman who can't string a sentence together, who doesn't want to debate, and uh, and then against Dr. Oz. Um, so you know, hopefully, Trump's coattails will reign supreme, and hopefully, we can actually counter their attempts for election rigging. That's really the the key. All right, I, I have a few other things. Oh, I wanted to play Dr. McAuliffe. Uh, let's take a listen to this quick clip. He's an internist, cardiologist, and trained in epidemiology. He has testified in front of the U.S. Senate, as I mentioned, regarding the COVID-19 response. And we're honored to have you here today to present on the four pillars of pandemic response. Doctor, thank you. As we sit here today, my estimates are 95% of Americans who have died of COVID-19, and we're approaching nearly a million of these poor souls, and tens of millions of hospitalizations could have been avoided with a comprehensive early treatment approach. So as we sit here today, if the topic of discussion is childhood vaccination, it is clear based on publications of representative data that the risks far outweigh 
any potential benefits of vaccinating children. And the data are clear. And in the last few weeks now, reports have come in, one from Connecticut with oversight from the pathology from the University of Michigan and from the University of Minnesota on two teenage boys who died on days three and four after the Pfizer vaccine. And the parents were horrified to find the children dead at home. Autopsies were performed, and the conclusion was crystal clear. The vaccines caused the death with massive heart inflammation and evidence of superimposed catecholamine injury on the heart. Fatal reports have come in from Choi and from Verma, Choi in Korea, Verma from Washington University in St. Louis. It is clear that a vaccine is being pushed, is being encouraged in mandating that, in fact, results in death of children. Results in death of children. One death is too many. As I've shared with you, in millions of children receiving the the vaccine, they don't die of COVID-19 respiratory illness. But in fact, they die of the vaccine. It's my viewpoint as a physician and as a public citizen that all vaccine mandates should immediately be dropped and all current vaccines be pulled from the market and undergo a very intensive review on safety and efficacy and figure out where the vaccine program has gone wrong. Those are my comments. Thank you. And think about this too, folks. You can't sue them. These vaccine manufacturers are guilty of these crimes and you can't sue them. It's absolutely outrageous. Uh, One other thing I wanted to talk about today um, that's uh, different than uh, COVID and different than anything we've talked about in this show, and that is uh, something new I learned today. Britain has started a pilot project on a four day on the four day work week, and some findings of this survey are out. According to reports, seventy eight percent of leaders at more than seventy UK companies shifted to four-day schedules. Let's take a listen. In other global news, Britain has started a pilot project on the four-day work week. And some findings of this survey is out. And what can be good news for some, the four-day work week is working. That's the message emerging from some companies shifting to four-day work week as well. Now, according to reports, a survey on four-day working week in 70 firms found that 78% of the leaders that shifted to four-day schedules say that their transition was good or seamless. And only 2% of them found that the transition was somewhat challenging. 88% say that four-day schedules are working well. Thousands of workers across different sectors of the UK economy had signed up for the global study on working for four days a week while also working for four days and still receiving full pay. The program aims to measure productivity and the well-being of staff over six months with around 3,300 employees participating in this survey. Some of the experts supporting the four-day work calls this policy with benefits for employees, employers and also the climate. A shorter week is finding favor with many employees also as it was founding to be a favored recruitment and retention strategy. Okay, so the way you, I look at this is it's, it's sort of like this uh, thing about the COVID relief program. Hey, we're, we're the government. We're going to give you $1,200. That's conditioning. That's grooming. That's basically like a matador with a red cape wanting the bull to run right into the sword. And people are going to be fooled by this. 
oh man, I would love three days off a week. I would love to go to a four-day week and keep the same pay. Number one, the pay will not be the same after people are, are, are corralled into it. It's basically like a cowboy herding a bunch of sheep, a sheepdog herding sheep, a cowboy herding cattle, whatever you want to call it. But the point is, I said, this is not a transition to working less hours. It's a transition to automation that will render manpower obsolete and contribute to a government-dependent class. That's how it works. They put out the cheese so that in the mousetrap. You know, it's a roach motel. We keep on talking about this. I keep repeating myself, but, you know, that's what the globalists do. They paint this rosy picture. You know, that's what they've done with these digital apps. That's what they did with social media. Remember when Facebook and Twitter came out and they were just talking about, it's just a place where, you know, it's a virtual community, town hall, where people can get together and talk and be friends. And guess what? It never panned out that way. It became a political tool in the CIA surveillance program. They didn't sell it like that when it was launched. But that's what it ended up being. Net neutrality was another one where the brochure looked so much better than the reality when it came to the Internet. And, and so on and so forth. I mean, basically, this situation here is that they're conditioning you to work less. And guess what? They're going to change it to a three-day week. Because remember what Andrew Yang said? Andrew Yang said that in a day where trucks drive themselves and you don't have union disputes and you don't have labor costs, uh, the amount of profit that the corporations who adopt automation will have will be paid as a tax to the government and the government will then supplement uh, the citizens' inability to find the work because everything's automated, whether it's a burger flipper being replaced by a electronic machine burger flipper, uh, where you buy your food out of a kiosk or something like that, and you don't even need to talk to an attendant, digital currency and all. Um, no one's going to exchange cash. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's... A, and, and so Andrew Yang was kind of talking about that way back. And I think that this four-day work week is part of that conditioning. Beware of the brochure. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out tacticalcivics.com to find out how you can bring your country back locally. Uh, they're a sponsor of this show, and we appreciate that. Visit MAGAPAC.org to find out how we're advancing America First policies and use Red State over at my pillow. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. Right